0: How many of you if you guys think about the semester, how many of you would say as you think about your classes, your teachers, your preceptors, that you would say this semester, you had one of your favorite teachers in, in like the history of you being in school, one of your favorite teachers? Raise your hand. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. That's cool. That's great. It's always a great experience. How many of you just would say, you know what, I'm just really looking forward to trying to forget this semester right now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Robbie, your hand went up way too fast. <laughs> well, one of my favorite teachers was my junior year, my uh, 11th grade high school English teacher. Her name was Miss Shanky. She was a great teacher, uh, one of my favorite teachers of all times. And even though my aptitude was definitely in math and science, I clearly demonstrated, and I clearly demonstrated this, this lack of aptitude in English in almost all of my writing assignments in Ms. Schenke's class. But still, even so, Ms. Schencking, she loved having me in class. Um, she actually really inspired me to appreciate poetry, literature, and stories in a way that I never had at that point, up to that point in time. And she could see that. She could see that I was really responding to her, to her teaching. So when I graduated from high school, uh, just like a year after having her, I actually tracked Ms. Shanky down like in June of my graduation and I gave her a gift and it was a gift that I worked hard on. I labored away in my garage and I made her like a bookend, like out of wood, uh, so that she could, you know, put it on her shelf and just, you know, put her books up to my bookend. You know, I took, flipped the, the bookend over and I signed my name on her, scratched my name, X my name in it, with, um, the date and so forth. And it was my way of saying, saying to her, you know, Ms. Shaggy, thank you for inspiring me to love and appreciate the world of books, poetry, and writing in a way that I never had up to that point in time. And I realized that we're now in an age of Kindles and PDF files and tablets and, you know, we read a lot of stuff that's not in a book. Um, but I, I assume you know what a bookend is. <laughs> you know, when you have a long shelf with actual paper books. You might have you know, one bookend followed by a long series of books, and then on the other end you have another bookend, and those bookends are there to like, just prop the books up and keep them in place. You take the bookends away, sometimes the books fall over, they fall down, um, but you know, those bookends are there to support the books. And actually, our passage in Titus tonight, this is our third message and final message in Titus, it actually has two bookends, uh, so to speak. Uh, the, these two bookends hold up and support the major theme that is found in the middle. Uh, and I'll get to that in a minute, but just, just as a quick reminder, or for the first time if you're hearing the Titus message um, here for the first time, Titus is a little letter, a little epistle, tucked in the, toward the end of the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul to a young man named Titus, which is the, the, the title of the small epistle. Actually, you can throw up the first slide. It's just a picture of the of a map. Wonderful. Yep. So Titus, um, I mean, Paul was an apostle. He traveled all over the Mediterranean, all over the Roman Empire. And Titus was a young pastor in a local church in the, the island of Crete. And so Paul is writing this letter, and the letter made its way there, and this was instructions to, uh, you could call him, I guess, Pastor Titus. And our main text that we're going to take out of this, this great letter is found in Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. I know we looked at these verses last week, too, but in the meantime, see if you can pick out what the two bookends are, and then the major theme that, I, that, that is there, sandwiched in the middle. So Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. Listen to the Word of God. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So anybody I mean, this is total stat. Anyone want to take a guess of what the bookends are? Horizon. One of them is the greatest. of No. They're <laughs> 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 courageous for trying. <laughs> I mean it's, it's this is kind of my own little creation. But there's actually something in here that appears twice. Oh my goodness, I I almost just gave it away. yeah. yeah. No, well that probably maybe there's many things here <laughs> that, but there's something in here that I'm thinking of <laughs> <It's just barely. laughs> so the one bookend is that the grace of God appeared right the grace of God <laughs> has appeared <laughs> and I was thinking more of the appearing that past tense has appeared you were so A minus <laughs> You know, the first book, again, is God has shown up. Uh, the grace of God has appeared. It's become visible. He's entered into our history. He's acted. He's done something. When Jesus Christ came, he was the grace of God in bodily form. So when he came, we can say, like we look at him and we can say, the grace of God has now appeared. He's, he's, he's dwelt with us. He's walked with us. And through Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, it was the grace of God on display for the whole world to see. It was the grace of God made manifest, appearing to us. And, and, it, and you know, this is a fixed moment in history. It, you know, it happened. It's immovable. It's certain. And I asked some of you, uh, when you came back from the from winter break, from Christmas break, you know, what was a what was highlight? And a number of you answered, you know, having home-cooked food was just, that was a highlight of just being home. Um, you know, you go home and there are certain beloved foods that you grew up with. And you might say, like, you know, these foods, like, they appeared, and you ate them, right? And, the, and here's my point. It's like, you look back at that history, it, it's, it's a historical fact. It's something that's rooted in history. That can never change. If that, if that was your experience, it's done. It's over. And, and with, with this, the grace of God has appeared. This is something that is rooted in history. God hasn't come to us, you know, he hasn't given us principles that only the elite few can try to figure out and maybe understand. No, the grace of God has appeared in time and space and history, and it is now an immovable fact. And, you know, this is the one bookend that is right here in this verse. Now, the other bookend, if you're tracking with me, is, we try this again, is What? Something, that, okay, so here's the one bookend. Something that has happened. God has appeared in Jesus Christ. And now on the far end of the, of the bookshelf, so to speak, there's another bookend. Yeah. The Appearing of the Glorious God. A. Plus. <laughs> 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 right, so like, the grace of God has appeared, one bookend, and then there's another bookend that hasn't happened yet. But it is just as fixed, just as certain as, as the first one, right? The grace of God will appear again, verse 13, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, the same Jesus Christ who has already appeared, he will appear again. He will come back. And as certain, like I said, as certain as real as his first appearing was, his second appearing is just as certain just as immovable as the first, even though it has not happened yet. We are waiting for it. And these are the two bookends. So, uh, you know, on the one end, Jesus Christ and the grace of God has already appeared. On the other end, Jesus Christ and the glory of God will appear again. And then what sits in the middle, between these two certain immovable bookends, according to this text? What's in the middle? Yeah. Hope. Or as this text puts it, a blessed Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope. So faith, faith looks back and says, I believe that Jesus already appeared. And I believe in what he already did. That's faith. Hope looks forward to the second book end. And it says, I believe Jesus will appear again. And I believe that he will finish what he still has yet to do. And sandwiched between these two appearances, the Christian has a certain and beautiful, or a blessed hope. And this is what I want to focus on, our blessed hope. You know, in Titus 2.13, which is right here, you all can see it, you know, that could be, this can be our anchor verse. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what exactly are we hoping in when we have hope in the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? And I want to begin, I'm going to turn to the scriptures in just a couple minutes, but I I thought I'd just begin to answer this by way of a story. It's actually a story that we read last night as a family. Um, Somebody bought my son Tim Tebow's biography for Christmas. My son loves history and biographies, and, and so he was somebody bought him this biography, and he's been reading it. We read an excerpt at the table last night, and I, I don't know what you if, if well. First of all, I don't even know how many of you know, know Tim Tebow, but um, he's a former football player, and he's also a former NFL. Uh, he was a former football player in college in, in the NFL, and he I mean he won the Heisman Trophy, and so he was pretty well known. But he's also the son of some Christian missionaries, and in his biography, he tells a story about when he was a teenager, and he was actually traveling with his parents. And during one of these trips, there, there was a town that was expecting his parents and Tim to, to come and to, and to talk to them about uh, to, to talk to them about faith, to talk to them about Jesus. Um, and so they, they make their way into this town, and Tim's dad says, Tim, he was a teenager, he said, how about you talk to the, the townspeople this time? And Tim, he, he got up and he talked, he, he shared about who God was, about how God has a plan for them and created them and loved them. And he went on to share about Jesus. And while he was telling this story in this town, this is actually in the Philippines, while he was telling this story, he saw three boys just sort of slip out from the crowd. And it just grabbed his attention. He says the spirit just made me see them and, and, and pay attention to them and, and just maybe think about like what's going on here. So these in the middle of talking, these three boys leave, right? Anyway, Tim finishes talking to the, to the townspeople, and you know, and he meets a bunch of people after he's done talking. And he decides, after he's all done with, with um, sharing with the larger group, he decides, I want to try to go find these three boys and just see what's going on. And so he just goes in the direction of where the three boys went. And as he's go- walking through the streets, he ends up looking sort of down like a little alleyway, and he sees one of the boys. And so he goes in the alley, and then he goes into like a little house, and in that little house were the three boys, but they were with a fourth boy. And this fourth boy, when he walked in, Tim says, I can't believe what I saw, but when I walked in, this fourth boy, his legs were on backwards. He was born just with that deformity. And he now realized like these three boys were listening to him, them, but this little boy wasn't there. And so partway through, they went back to talk to the, their friend about what Tim was saying. Um, and Tim asked him, to this, this young boy, um, why, why weren't you there in the town with everybody else? Um, and he shared, his name was Sherwin. Um, and he said, well, I was told, let me just see. if I, I was told that I'm not very impressive and so I should stay away because we wanted to sort of put, sort of uh, we wanted to impress you know, the, the, the guests who were coming. And I'll just, I'll just break into you know, Tim talking. He said, my heart broke more when I heard Sherwin say this. This boy should have been the first one seated in the first row This boy should be loved, encouraged, lifted up, not dismissed, ignored, or discarded like he wasn't good enough. And then he goes on, I went on to spend uh, some precious time with these boys, and I shared with them the love of Jesus that I had been talking about to the larger town. And I told them that God had a special plan for each of them. And I thanked uh, the boys for being great friends with Sherwin, and I told Sherwin that God created him perfect and that God thought he was very, very impressive. And it goes on from there, and Sherwin and his friends end up believing the message that Tim is sharing about Jesus. And, you know, just skimming down, um, at at some point in time, Tim needs to leave to go reunite with his family, and he tells him that. He says, I have to go. And Sherwin said, well, can I go and meet your family? Could you take me with them? And so Tim picked up Sherwin, um, and as he did, one of the boys, you know, held onto his foot, as, you know, he's up here, he held on to Sherwin's foot, and another boy was holding his hand. And Tim was really moved by that, that these would be such dear friends. that would walk through the town with, with Sherwin like this. And, you know, they find Tim's family a couple hundred yards away. And, and let me just pick up where Tim uh, talks about saying goodbye to them. I looked at Sherwin, Tim says, before handing him over to his three friends, and all of us had tears in our eyes. And so I said to them, so I said to Sherwin, I can't wait to see you in heaven buddy. I told him and I, as I rubbed his hair on his head. And he looked at me with a wry smile and his eyes sparkling and he said, Timmy, I can't wait to run with you in heaven. You know? Um, that is the hope that is talked about here in Titus. And that's the hope seen through the lens of a little boy in the Philippines. Who has believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the hope of heaven, of Jesus' coming kingdom. And now to you know to to, to bring it back to to the scriptures and and sort of some of the the rich variety of things that the scriptures have to say about this, you know, about about the hope of heaven, about Jesus' second appearing, that when he comes back, he will restore everything. Um, You know, suffering and pain. Gone. Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There will be no more death. Death will be defeated, John 11. Jesus says to uh, Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says to them. Injustices. Injustices will be exposed and judged, and righteousness and truth will reign. Matthew 6.10, Jesus told his disciples, and he tells us to pray, Your kingdom come. There's that reality that God's kingdom is going to come. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Those who are on the margin, those who are neglected, they will be exalted. The last shall be first, Jesus often said. Or Luke 1, some of you know Mary's song very well. When she found that she was with child of Jesus, she she sang, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. See, in in, in heaven, everything gets flipped. There's even, thinking about our own sin, our own struggles, they will be no longer. You know, instead, we will be like Jesus. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, there's the same word, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You'll be like him. You know, and and for Sherwin, it was Timmy, I can't wait to run with you in heaven. This is the hope that we have, the blessed hope that will become a reality at the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But as this instructs us, until then, we wait. You know, we wait for that blessed hope. You know, and if you think about what motivates you to send out 20, 30 resumes to potential employers, right? It's the desire to have a job, yes. But it's also you have that hope that at least a few might respond positively. Otherwise, you wouldn't do anything. Um, you know, and, and there is no certainty, and this is what makes that process very difficult and very emotional, I also experienced this over Christmas break. We took our kids to an amusement park one day as part of our Christmas vacation, and we had a great time. Um, you know, and you might ask the question, well, what makes us stand in line for 15 to 30 minutes or more for a ride, right? It's, it's that hope that, okay, we'll get on that ride, and we'll have those 90 seconds of enjoyment. And I remember one time, we were waiting in line, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the intercom breaks in, that dreaded inter- intercom, and says, excuse me, but we are experiencing mechanical difficulties we do not know when the you know roller coaster will be running again and like the, the look on my kids face with like that crushed hope of like ah oh, as we got out of line to like go somewhere else right our hopes you know they they, they get raised but then often they, they they get crushed so much of what we hope for is uncertain and, and and but the reality is is that we're willing if we really value it we're willing to wait for it even when it is so uncertain, so untenuous, we'll wait. We'll hang out. We'll 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 we'll, we'll stick in there. We'll persevere. But then, how much more should we be willing to wait, to eagerly wait, and expect for that which is absolutely certain, that which is fixed, it's immovable. And I, I think this is a real weakness for us today. I'm thinking of the American Western Christian Church. This is a real weakness that that. We're not really waiting for this hope. It's not on our minds uh, that much. We get so focused on other things. We get focused on our ambitions and our hopes for this world, for this world, not so much the next. We get distracted by entertainment. Um, my, my father-in-law says, like, being sort of the American... Sports world has it set up perfectly, like you start off the year with the Super Bowl, and then when that's over, you've got like March Madness, and then when that's over, you've got the NBA and the NHL playoffs, and then you've got like baseball, I mean, and then you've got college football, and then the whole thing repeats itself. And, and it's just like we've really constructed entertainment up in such a way that like you, you can really never get bored in our, in our country. We're, we're distracted by our good health, and we don't feel our mortality, at least not like other generations. I'm reading another book. This is like sort of the, the, the season of life for me where I read lots of junior high books. <laughs> and one of the ones I'm reading, is a Newberry Award winner. I'm very grateful that there's a lot of outstanding authors who write great books for junior high kids. <laughs> and so I'm really enjoying this. One of the books that I'm reading now is called Crispin. I don't know if any of you have read Crispin. It was written by a man named Obvious. So some of you shaking your head. Phenomenal storyteller. But the book is about a boy, Crispin, from 1300s England, 1300 England. And he, so far, I'm only on like page 80. It's about like finding food to survive, staying warm, and avoiding the plague. And I, I'm getting pulled into this world. I'm like, this is just so different than my like 2017 existence, right? Where I'm just, I don't really think about my mortality that much. Crispin thinks about it like every minute of the day. And these things, these things distract us from thinking about our blessed hope, the, 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 that this world is not all that there is, that there's a life to come. So many things take our focus off the fact that this is not the only world that there is, that another world is coming. And, and the question is, is, what are we missing when we aren't waiting for this blessed hope? And this blessed hope, you know, in, in, in the certainty of what is coming, it will transform how we live our life now here in the present. Like, knowing that this future destination is certain, if we think about it, if we consider it, if we remember it, if we wait for it, it will transform how we live life here in the present. Come back to Tim Tebow. He went back to that town. After he made millions of dollars, that's when he was a teenager. He was there for the first time. But after he made millions of dollars with his Nike endorsements and the NFL contracts, he went back to that town and he opened up an orthopedic clinic to help people like Sherwin, to help kids like Sherwin. That hope that he has for heaven is transforming how he's living his life now, here in the present, and what he's doing and what he's living for. Another book that I'm reading through is a Martin Luther King Jr. biography. And, um, and I'm even reading through some of it with Jeremy because he, he did the pictures are extraordinary. Um, and I just, as I'm reading through it, I'm just thinking, like, what motivated him to persevere through so much injustice, so much personal harm, pain, threats to him and his family? I mean, his house was attacked and bombed. He was stabbed at one point. And then ultimately he was assassinated in the name of racial, you know, striving for racial justice And I think, how did he do that? How did he endure that? How did he persevere? You know, and as I'm reading this biography, I'm coming to the conclusion that there are two things. One is the righteousness of his cause. I mean, he knew he was right. And he knew he was God's voice in God's hands in that moment, bringing truth and righteousness to a nation that desperately needed it. But the other that keeps emerging as I'm reading this is that he had hope. He had the hope that we're all moving toward a destination where he said in his, I have a dream speech that justice would roll down like waters, and that righteousness would roll like a mighty stream. And and yeah, he he worked hard for that here and now, and King's life, he, he ultimately sacrificed his life for that cause, but he also knew that Jesus' kingdom would ultimately not come through any one man or many men's efforts, but it would one day come because it was an immovable, fixed certainty, and he had that hope. And that's what motivated him here in the present. That future hope, and in the meantime, um, you know that that future hope transformed how we lived here in the present. And you know, so what about us? You know, what might that same hope look like in action, in more in a day-to-day uh, life? I mean, most of us aren't going to start orthopedic clinics somewhere halfway around the world, though some of you may. And most of us are most likely not going to be assassinated in the name of racial injustice or some other phenomenal cause, although some of you may. But it, for, for, for most of us, that's probably not going to be our story. So what can this look like in the daily fabric of our lives as, as we wait for that same blessed hope and how can it transform our present and how we live our lives before God and others in the present? And in a few minutes, Danielle will share just, just that an answer to that very thing of like how she sees that future hope transforming how she lives her life here. Um, but we didn't script this, so maybe we'll, the music team, maybe will sing a song. And, uh, and then Danielle will come up. Does that sound good? Are we prepared for that? Okay, Well, the music team comes up, I can pray. Lord God, thank you and praise you that we do have a blessed hope. Jesus Christ, that you came and that you will come again. And I pray that you would fill each person's heart here tonight with that hope looking back to the past and looking ahead to the future. And I pray that you would open up our eyes to see more clearly that reality and that that would transform how we live our lives here in the future. I pray that you would encourage us through the songs that we're singing, through what Danielle shares, and just even the way that we interact tonight, even the thoughts of our heart. Do good things in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name.